This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth Admission. There's a new member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. She's Myrna Melgar, who won a tight race in District 7, the area west of Twin Peaks. She wants to see more childcare slots, a safe reopening of the public schools, and more apartments and in-law units on the west side of San Francisco, which is mostly single-family homes. She's the first Latina elected to the board without having been appointed by the mayor first, and says the main thing that's missing at City Hall is kindness. Myrna Melgar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Heather. Congratulations on your big win. Thank you. How did it feel to get the news? Uh, it actually felt like a big relief. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a long I've, time coming. Yeah, I've spent a whole year of my life on this now. Um, and uh, I just got so much support from a supervisor, outgoing supervisor, Norman Yee, and from my family, my sisters. So uh-huh. I didn't want to let people down, you know? Yeah, that's great. And did you do anything to celebrate? You know, we can't do a whole lot in terms of big parties. but We baked a cake. You know, we, <laughs> I, I love carrot cake. So we baked the cake with frosting and everything and we oh, ate nice. it. Oh, that <laughs> yeah, sounds like, good. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there were several candidates who um, had pretty strong campaigns in District 7 and you won um, under the ranked choice voting system um, in part by being the second choice of many voters across the political spectrum. And I was wondering if you can describe how you achieved that and appealed to so many different types of voters. Yeah, so that was my uh, strategy all along. Uh, I wasn't the most, you know, in San Francisco, we think that we (laughs) fit into different camps, you know, moderates, progressives. And I uh, tried pretty intentionally to find the consensus and the commonality with all kinds of people, because I do think that that's, you know, more normal and more normal way to live. Um, and, uh, so doesn't seem like it these days, unfortunately, right. Unfortunately, but, you know, I think, um, I grew up in El Salvador during the civil war and my mom was a communist and she was a combatant and my dad's family were conservative people and, um, you know, people were killing each other. So I think now that we have a system where there's rules and people can actually talk to each other and come to consensus, it's really wonderful. And compared to, you know, growing up in a civil war, this is nothing. So (laughs) I did, you know, I reached out to, I'm a, a very progressive person. I spend years doing tenants' rights and anti-gentrification work, uh, but I reached out to the Yimbis and, um, you know, they supported me. They supported uh, the fact that I wanted to build affordable housing on the West Side, you know, mm-hmm. and that was an area of commonality. And, uh, you know, my coalition looked very different than other people because I tried to just go as wide as possible because I also knew that not just getting the number twos, but, um, making progress on the issues that I care about, you know, housing, family services, senior services, it's going to take, you know, people coming together, not polarizing each other. Yeah. You told me that you kind of saw a difference in your female and male um, competitors in terms of how they responded to your style and and to your campaign in general. Can you describe that for the listeners? Yeah, I think that um, sometimes uh, 
women's collaborativeness uh, and kindness gets mistaken for weakness. Um, and then uh, and then we get underestimated <laughs> because of that. And um, I actually, I think that was an advantage for both me and Emily, the other female candidate. I think we were both underestimated. Um, and Emily did much better than people expected. And, and so did I, you know, obviously. Yes. Uh, and uh, of all the candidates that were running, I think uh, Emily is by far the one who treated me with the most kindness and respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we communicated often. We even shared you know, uh, campaign hair styling. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that was good. It was a good thing. Yeah. Great. And you're the first Latina to win a supervisor seat without having been appointed by the mayor first. Okay. And how does that achievement feel? Well, it feels great, you know, and I hope it paves the way for others. Um, I think that uh, one of the main motivations for running actually was because we are down to three women on the board of supervisors out of 11 and only one is a woman of color. Uh, and that, that just, you know, hurt my stomach. <laughs> uh, I do think that women's leadership styles are different than men's, you know, not every woman and not every man, but I think on the whole women are socialized to be more collaborative. And I do think that sometimes the polarization and the toxicity in the um, conversation is because of people's style. <laughs> and, and I do want more women uh, in leadership and um, whatever I can do from now forward to have more Latinas, more women of color, more women um, in decision-making roles, I will do. Yeah, I saw um, an interesting ranking. I think you put it maybe on the Harvey Milk um, questionnaire about how you, by gender and race, how you decide who to support in yeah. terms of other candidates. Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, that for some reason really pissed people off. (laughs) And I'm not sure why, because this is how I make my decisions. It's about my work, not anyone else's. Uh Um, Because, you know, I do think that uh, while I'm a a solidly progressive person, um, I don't think that's all. That's not the whole battle, not for me, you know, where I want to put my work to help people get elected. It's definitely around race and gender. Um, And also, you know, sexual orientation, because um, I think that for gay people, for women, for people of color, um, getting to those uh, rooms and sitting in places where you make decisions is more difficult than for, you know, white men. It is more difficult. And so if I'm going to go the extra mile to endorse someone to work for them, um, I want to make sure that it's people who believe in the things that I believe in, but also that they represent communities who are underrepresented and no communities more underrepresented than women. (laughs) You know, uh, I think that um, we bring not just um, a different style of decision-making, but but different ways of looking at things. So just for example, as a progressive, right, we care about poverty. We care about income inequality. In California, the greatest gap is with Latina women, actually. So female-headed households, children living in poverty, if we were able to have equality for women in terms of uh, wages, we would solve a lot of those problems, childhood poverty, you know, school segregation, I mean, all kinds of things. And so, yeah, I think we definitely need more women at the table making decisions. Yeah. So I couldn't tell from that answer on that questionnaire if you would ever endorse a white man. Um, I, I would, and I have. You know, yeah. I mean, I endorsed Darren Peskett. <laughs> I mean, his main opponent was... Well, he wasn't running guy. against a woman. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was wearing another white guy. So I, I have, you know, and, and I've worked for, for white men, <laughs> for sure. Okay. Um, if people share my values, 
But I think if given the choice to like help develop, you know, build a capacity, raise the money, mentor, uh, I would rather do it for people who are underrepresented. Yeah. Until, until we're equal. Yeah. Well, let's help. Nowhere there. (laughs) No. Uh, And you got an endorsement from Mayor London Breed. And I was wondering if you can describe what is your relationship like with her? So uh, Mayor London Breed is uh, my Emerge sister, you know, Emerge is this program that trains Democratic women to run for office. And I've known her for a very long time. She actually, when I first met her, was when we were both running to be delegates for Barack Obama (laughs) in uh, 2008. Uh, And so, uh, and she was the executive director of the African-American Cultural Center Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, youth development person. And I've worked in youth development too. And um, I am very, very fond of London. I admire Mm -hmm. her, um, her tenacity, her smarts, her strategy, you know, and her life story. And I admire her leadership. So she is um, quite a bit more conservative than I am in terms of her politics. Um, and I think that's okay. I think mm-hmm. that we live in a world where we should be able to sit down across differences and hash it out. And in fact, I think that we come to better decisions if we do that, you know, because we see each other's point of view. Um, mm-hmm. And then we learn and then we make a decision based on the nuances of somebody else's viewpoint. And so um, even though she and I have disagreed uh, on things uh, and, you know, pretty important things (laughs) when I was on the planning commission, uh, we have still managed to maintain a really excellent working relationship uh, and be able to learn from each other and see each other's point of view. So I, um, during the pandemic, I think that you see what somebody's made out of, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of their leadership when when it's under stress. And and I think she has performed really, really well Mm -hmm. under pressure, under great pressure. Uh, Is everything perfect? No, but you know, I do admire her. Yeah. And you'll be sworn in in January. Um, And what are your priorities for next year? So my very first priority um, is childcare, actually. (laughs) Um, In in San Francisco, uh, we already had a shortage of childcare slots. We only had, uh, you know, one for every 15 kids under the age of three who needed it. Um, Oh, wow. In this district, District 7, we have a lot of home-based daycare. Uh, because mm-hmm. of the, the houses here, you know, a lot of single family houses with basements um, and most of those uh, home-based daycares are owned by, by Latina and Chinese women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the income for a lot of, of those families. Uh, and the pandemic has made folks have to, uh, you know, cut in half the, the attendance, right? So that's half their income. Um, and we kept some things going through the subsidies through the Children's Council because uh, they have been amazing. Um, but still, I know a lot of people who are just kind of teetering on the edge. So now that uh, Prop um, Prop F passed, um, I think that we have, a, a, you know, some, some room, you know, to help folks. But I think we're going to need kind of a Marshall plan to make mm-hmm. sure that those uh, small businesses are stabilized um, and that those slots are available for when people have to go back to work. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. families are going to just be... And, and mostly it'll fall on women, right? Yeah. It'll, they'll, they'll have to go, do I go back to work or, you know, what do I do? Because I have no childcare. So that's a priority. I also think that there's room for the city to assist the school district in opening back up. Uh, and I'm really interested in that because um, uh, as I understand it, the, the school district's having a capacity issue in terms of um, assessing facilities and fixing what needs to be filled. And at the same time, we have the Department of Building Inspection, we have the Department of Public Works, we have uh, all these other, uh, you know, 
sets of capacities within the city that are not cooperating. So it may need some, you know, gentle je legislation <laughs> or, you know, uh, prompting of cooperation to make sure that we deploy all resources to make sure that kids can go back safely um, and that, you know, teachers are safe, you know, doing their jobs uh, and that families are safe and at the same time that the kids are going back to school. Because, you know, I have kids, you have kids, you mm -hmm. know, uh, besides the learning, uh, which, you know, is, is important, there's also the development, the, the human development of these yeah. young people, and they need other kids, you know? Yeah. So, um, when, when do you think would be an appropriate time for the schools to reopen? And I assume it would, you would support a phased reopening. And when, what would that look like if, if you were in charge of everything? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, clearly I'm not in charge of the schools. Um, yeah. And I think the school board, you know, will uh, come out with a timeline and I will support their efforts. But I do think that the city needs to deploy everything that we have in our power to assist them to do yeah. it as quickly as possible, uh, as quickly as possible. Yes. Right. Are you doubtful at all that kids will be back this year, this academic year? Because a lot of parents are just assuming that August 2021 is now kind of the best case scenario. Yeah, I think everybody's assuming that and making plans and who wouldn't, right? You know, yeah. like you need to make plans, except like the folks who just cannot, who have yeah. no other options. And that's, you know, usually the kids who need most support. And so that's why I think that we need to do everything we can to make sure that they can go back as quickly as possible. And you have a daughter in elementary school, right? Uh, middle school. Middle school. How's, yeah. how's distance learning going for her? Um, you know, I mean, the, the learning part is going okay. She's a good student, which is a good thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, the social emotional part is rough. You know, that those preteen years, those girlfriends are just like, that. Yeah. You know, it's the most important. I remember that. And I have two older daughters, you know, so that preteen teen phase uh, yeah. is just so crucial for your self-esteem, your identity formation, all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I worry about this generation and, and what they're missing out on, but you know, we all are, right? Yeah. Um, what do you think of some of the school board members who have insisted that it's only really well-off white families who want schools to reopen in the first place? Well, you know, I, I'm i not going to speak for them or, you know, mm -hmm. ch challenge their understanding. Uh, I can only tell you that uh, my uh, social circle in District 7 is pretty diverse. Mm -hmm. And I am hearing it from everyone. People are desperate. You yeah. know, and it's not just people who have options. I mean, every everyone, you know, like it has upended our lives. Yeah. So um, I think that we all need to pull together and, right. and make sure that it happens quickly. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And you were the president of the planning commission before um, resigning to run for supervisor. Yeah. Um, and uh, from my outsider perspective, I didn't, 
thankfully have to sit through nearly as many commission <laughs> meetings as you did, but <laughs> it seems like the process is really broken when one person can put the brakes on pretty much anything that happens in San Francisco. Um, can you talk about that and, and how our planning system could be fixed? You know, it's complicated, right? Because um, as I said, I'm grateful that we have a process, you know, where people can come together and there's rules, you know, and there's timelines and it's transparent, it's on TV, anybody can watch, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I think that part is actually pretty great. Um, I think that, you know, in other places around the world, people make decisions and everybody else just accepts it. So in, mm -hmm. in our process, it's kind of the other way around. Um, so I want us to be able to reach a, more of a middle ground. So um, I think that, you know, when I uh, decided to run for office, um, I had to get like 40 of my neighbors to sign the petition to turn in, you know, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a, a DR request can come from just one neighbor. <laughs> right. Know? And that's dis discretionary it's, review. Right. Uh -huh. Discretionary review. And that stops everything. And I think that we could do, you know, something better, particularly for, um, for businesses, you mm -hmm. know, because I, I have seen it get abused quite a bit when a competing business doesn't want somebody to take over, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and so that, that I think can lead to all kinds of shenanigans and I don't want to see that. And so, um, I would support, uh, streamlining things, making it fairer. And the other thing that I've observed is that folks with access to money can pay, pay lawyers, pay experts mm -hmm. to weave, you know, their way around and stop their neighbors from, you mm -hmm. know, blocking the view or whatever. Um, and, you know, folks who live in the eastern side of town in the Mission Bay, like that hardly ever happens, you know, so yeah. there is a disparity in terms of access to the process and, and, you know, what you can get out of it. So it sounds like you're saying you'd support like one neighbor having to get signatures from other neighbors as well. Like it should be possible, but not as easy as it is. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got it. And did you support Prop H, which would help address some of these issues on the business front? I did. I was yes. a very strong supporter of Prop H. And, you know, a lot of progressives didn't. Um, and I, you know, respect that a lot of times people have used the existing crazy system that we have uh, for supporting, you know, equity, mom and pop, you know, local businesses. But but I think that that's just, um, that's a little bit flawed thinking, you know, that because we now have expertise in this crazy system, we should support the crazy system. And yeah. I think it should be just fairer and uh, easier for everyone. And so for, a, you know, part of my career, I worked at the Mission Economic Development Agency, supporting small businesses, mostly immigrants and women-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. And for people who don't speak English, don't have access to capital, like it's difficult, right, to know what to fill out, when to fill it out, and what sequence, who to talk to, you know. That was a lot of the work that I did is help people go through all these crazy hoops, but it should not be that hard. So small businesses are like the entry point for a lot of immigrants. You know, yeah. if you don't speak English, if you can't work for someone else, you know. Um, I had uh, someone at Mission Economic Development, uh, William Ortiz, who is now on the Small Business Commission, He's now a uh -huh. leader, but he, um, you know, when he was a, a teenager. He uh, got arrested for drug possession and mm -hmm. was in jail for a while. And he got out like nobody would hire him. Mm. So he started working as a parking attendant and like just hustled and eventually bought the business, you know, and oh, then wow. grew the business. And he had this whole like operation of parking lots all around the city, you know, it became really, really successful. He's on the business commission, but people like William, right? Like that or Sharky Le 
Botswana, you know, yeah. very, like, like there's so many of these folks who just like don't quite fit, you know, yeah. into our workforce, but, but small businesses allows them to be successful. So um, I think that, you know, uh, we, it, it's an engine that runs, you know, our economy and, and yeah. we should make it easier. Yeah. I wrote about, um, you may remember this one, Jason Yu, who is, is still trying to open matcha and more in the mission and one competing ice cream shop um, kind of thwarted the whole thing. And so uh, the commission did allow him to proceed, but it took several months and a lot of money to hire a lawyer and, and all of that. So hopefully those things will stop happening. Well, Crap uh, H is only temporary. Right? Oh, it's yeah. a three year thing. Okay. So, so I think that, you know, even though we're all happy about it, you know, we got to fix it permanently. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and do you have any other uh, priorities you want to speak to? I know that housing is tops and wondered if you can describe what you'd like to see on the west side of the city and in your district, particularly since it's almost all single family homes. Yeah, so I think there's some low hanging fruit that we can reach, you know, pretty quickly. And one of the things that I um, would like to see is that uh, just, you know, around my block, there's a lot of single family homes uh, that have three, four bedrooms, uh, and the folks who own them uh, are older, their kids have moved away, they have this big house, and it's, they can't really move, they're kind of stuck, because where are they going to move to, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, ADUs are now legal mm-hmm. to build. Uh, you can have a, a ADU, uh, accessory dwelling unit, granny flat, right? Yeah. Uh, or a junior, uh, you know, ADU in, in your house legally. And a lot of people don't do it because it's expensive. Yeah. Um, and it's also uh, a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. Planning and building All inspection. the construction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would like the city to assist in the financing, especially for folks who are older, so that they can put, you know, the, the in-law unit on the ground floor, have the, you know, disability access upgrades that they need to age in place and then rent out the upstairs, you know, to a family who needs it. And so the financing could, could advantage that, that sort of give um, maybe, you know, payment free, you know, loans to folks who are willing to rent a section eight household or, you know, any number of things that we could do to assist that process. And then for the planning and building inspection process, I think that we could make it easier much easier and make it more efficient. So that I think is low hanging fruit that could double the zoning capacity of our neighborhood without adding any, any, like, you know, anything outside of the envelope of the homes. Um, and then aside from that, I do want to see more development in the West side. Um, and, um, in fact, I think we need it. So there are neighborhood corridors like ocean Avenue that, um, are older. And, uh, you know, 40 years ago when we did the zoning, um, it was, it, it penciled out, those businesses penciled out, but that was before Amazon and Grubhub. And, uh, and today those businesses are having a hard time and they, they need more customers. So in Ocean Avenue on the stretch where we've added more apartments, you know, there's an Avalon, new affordable housing across from City College, uh, those businesses are doing much better. And so I would like to add, you know, density, more housing uh, in the rest of the corridor, maybe on West Portal, uh, on Terrabao. Um, and then we also have a whole stretch uh, on Brotherhood Way that right now is for religious uses. And uh, a lot of those congregations have dwindling. You know, people are just not attending church and synagogue the way they used to. I know my synagogue is there on Brotherhood Way. And oh. I, know, I know that we uh, try to, uh, we have been talking for years about building senior housing above 
um, and hadn't been able to, but the law now has changed and I'd like the city to assist congregations yeah. in being able to develop, you know, their, their land uh, mm -hmm. and preserve what they have uh, for the congregations that they have now, not 40, 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, you've survived my serious questions and now it's time for the lightning round. Hey. <laughs> Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? <laughs> so um, my favorite place to get a burrito um, is El Farolito on Mission uh -huh. Street. Um, however, that's not the place where I get them more often <laughs> because my family loves burritos and we, I'd say at least uh, once a week, if not twice a week, get burritos at a uh, Taqueria Los Charros in Park Merced. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which is a place. That yeah, that's where all the San Francisco State University students go. Yeah. You know, but they make great burritos. <laughs> oh, good to know. Yeah. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Um, <laughs> uh, Big Trouble in Little China, actually. Uh -huh. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> I don't think I've seen it, but I, I've heard it's good. It's a classic, you know, campy, but it's got everything I love. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Where's your favorite place, thinking back to when bars are, were open, um, to get a stiff drink? Um, I would say it's Martuni's. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do the karaoke there? Or no, the piano my, singing? <laughs> yeah. So my friend, Paul Hogarth, uh, is yeah. often has, yeah. And so uh, <laughs> Paul and I go way back and, you know, I would often go and watch him do his thing. I loved it. Nice. What was your first concert? It was uh, Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band. <laughs> That's, That's cool. That's me, a good right? one. 80s. <laughs> 80s child. <laughs> what was the last book you read? So I reread Season of the Witch uh -huh. uh, while I was campaigning because I thought, you know, like I should. And, yeah. and it definitely, uh, while I was in the middle of the campaign, read it in a whole new light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking back to another time when San Francisco was going through so much craziness. Yeah, but also like uh, the structures, you know, the power mm -hmm. structures in San Francisco. There's things that change and things that stay the same. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah. And I know you live in the Ingalls side. So which do you think is cooler, the Sundial or Beeps Burgers? Ooh, wow. That's a serious <laughs> question. Uh, very different. I I will say the Sundial because I live right across the yeah, street. Yeah, I saw it in your campaign photo. <laughs> yeah, but also, you know what? I love my neighborhood. Um, and what's special about the Sundial is that it is uh, sort of a town square. For yeah. Ingleside Terraces. Uh, so birthday parties happen there, uh, afternoon picnics, um, and uh, political chatter. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a great place. Who's your favorite all-time San Francisco supervisor? I would say Stu Bierman. Mm, good one. Yeah. Stu, so I worked, I was an aide to Jose Medina, you know, when he was supervisor. And Stu Bierman, uh, her office was across from ours, uh, and I got to know her mostly at first through her aides, who uh, she was easily one of the most kind and generous people I've ever met, huh. uh, but also uh, really good at what she did, mm -hmm. you know, uh, accessible, smart, strategic. Um, so yeah, Superman. <laughs> cool. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the way City Hall works, what would it be? Uh, I would say kindness. Mm. More, More of it. Yeah. Yeah. What are you most looking forward to about the pandemic ending? What is something you're not allowed to do now that you really want to do? Dance with other people. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a samba dancer. <laughs> nice. I have 
Yeah, so I dance, uh, I've danced in Carnival in the mission uh-huh. oh, um, cool. since I was 16. Uh, so through three pregnancies uh, oh and everything. And so um, I, uh, it's, you know, sort of part of, of my family culture. Uh, and I miss that uh, yeah. very much. And last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Music. Mm. Yeah, I, um, you know, my, I come from a very musical family. We all play multiple instruments. And there's something that happens, you know, in my brain when I go for a long time without music, I get um, kind of moody and depressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, music is important. Great. Well, thank you so much. And it was fun to talk to you. You too, Heather. It was nice talking to you. And I'll be talking to you soon, I hope. Yes, hopefully. Yeah. Talk okay. to you soon. Bye. Right, bye-bye. Thank you to Myrna Melgar for joining me today, to Taya Francesca Price for producing this episode, and to you for listening. 